Podcastle, episode 317, for June 24th, 2014. Bee Yard, by Cole Buchaya. Rated PG. Hello, and welcome to Podcastle. I'm LaShawn Wanick. This week's story is all about sisters. I've had my share of sibling rivalry. It's been a long time, though, so I don't remember much. I mean, there was that time I locked both my sisters in the closet so I could read my books in peace. And maybe there was that time I rigged the Cabbage Patch doll to fall on my sister's face while she slept. (laughs) That was a good one. Now that my sisters and I are older, we look back on those days when we were kids and laugh. At least, I do. They just look at me and slowly back away. I cannot imagine for the life of me why. Anyway, PodCastle is happy to present Bee Yard by Cole Buchaya. Cole is an MFA candidate at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. She is the editor-in-chief of Psychopomp Magazine, which can be found at psychopompmag.com. Her work can be found in West Branch, Extracts, and other publications. Bee Yard was first published in Timber Journal, Volume 3, released in February 2014. Our reader this week is Sue Brophy. So gather your siblings close and enjoy the story. Bee Yard by Cole Bachaya. I grew up next to a fire-haired girl whose sister was made of paper. You can only imagine what sort of trouble this caused. My own sister and I built castles in our living room, castles of blankets and upright pillows with the electric flame of a flashlight illuminating them from within. We bent our heads together, her golden curls against my straight black hair, and we giggled into the night. Of course, the fire hair girl couldn't do this with her paper sister. If they had bumped foreheads, the girl made of paper would have gone up in flames. It was difficult enough for them to be in the same room together. I don't think they spoke much. The girl made of paper was mild-mannered and well-liked. Her eyebrows, her nose, the braided strands that made up her lips, they were all made of paper. Her features were expressive. They folded and crinkled into all the positions that people made of flesh would have come to expect. She ran and played with all the other children in the neighborhood, and she must have read a lot because she seemed to know a lot about the world for someone so young. On rainy days, everyone on our street would gather into one person's living room, build a castle from blankets and upright pillows, and listen to her tell us stories about monsters as big as bridges who lived under the sea, or birds that could turn into men once they had flown into their lovers' bedrooms. The fire-haired girl never joined us. Everyone was too afraid of her to invite her to play, and she never asked. Her sister rarely mentioned her. The girl made of paper did once tell us that the fire-haired girl had never learned to read. Every time she had tried to hold a book, the orange flames that whipped around her shoulders sent the pages curling backward and away from her. What the girl made of paper didn't tell us, what we observed, was that her sister could play in the rain. Of course, this was something which was too dangerous for the girl made of paper. Her paper eyebrows, nose, and lips would have turned into mush and fallen right off her face, I'm sure. The fire hair girl, however, 
seemed to love the rain. We sometimes heard her singing while within our living room castles, and we lifted our eyes discreetly over the windowsill to spy, like cats watching for a bird. Whenever it rained, the fire hair girl became a regular bald-headed girl. She took running leaps into puddles of water that collected in the dips of the road and threw her arms up gleefully as the water splashed around her. She danced like mad, bending backward with a leg in the air, and she twirled, spinning and spinning, the only time she could spin without creating a fire whirl around her. We never saw the fire hair girl outside when the skies were clear. Her sister, however, often went outside in fine weather. The girl made of paper kept bees, and I often saw her in her backyard as she was tending to them. I never asked her what her sister did in the house all day. I thought it would be rude to ask, and she never volunteered. I imagined first that the fire-haired girl knelt pink-legged in a room made of metal, learning to read from books with metal words. She traced them with her fingers as she read, hot letters trying to burn their shapes into her skin. She'd memorize the feel of them until she could read them with her eyes closed. Or maybe her room was a great pool and she floated there, suspended in still waters, bald-headed and pruning, with her knees drawn up toward her chest like a fetus. She could breathe for hours. She spent her days trying to trace words into the water. Sometimes, when the girl made of paper was with her bees, I could catch an orange flicker at one of the second-floor windows of her house. The other girl watched her sister intently, her hair dancing around her like a curtain caught in a breeze. Did she envy her sister? Did she envy the bees? The girl made of paper never wore a beekeeping suit. I asked her about it once. I don't need one, so we've never even bought one. If the bees sting me, I can barely feel it, she said. She said she felt things, but her sense of touch was dulled. The bees could pierce her paper skin and cause her no pain. The fire hair girl couldn't even stand near her sister without the risk of damaging her. Maybe the girl made of paper could barely feel the flames as they burned her. She could hug her sister without pain, but she would still be reduced to a pile of ashes as she did. I wondered how she could feel anything. What was feeling something like, even barely, when you were made of paper? I could never expect her to explain the sensation of it in a way I could understand. What my skin sensed when I touched paper, the dry, dead smoothness of it, was the closest I could come to imagining what she might feel when she touched anything. But that would mean that everything from fire to bee stings felt like paper on skin to her. Everything felt like her own body pushing back at her. That would be like if everything I touched felt like human skin, and that made no sense. The girl had read about beekeeping in one of her books. Did you know that honey is regurgitated flower nectar? She had asked me. That doesn't sound like something I'd want to eat. But it's so sweet, even I can almost taste it. I'd like to keep some bees and harvest my own honey. You know, if you make food for someone, you can give that person physical comfort without even touching them. It's kind of like touch with no contact. She then asked her parents if she could have a few hives and begin jarring her own honey. Perhaps because she had never been the type of child to ask for very much at all, they fulfilled her wish quite willingly. I'm going to debut my honey the next time it rains, when everyone on the street is together, she said once, after several months of caring for the honeybees. 
Her paper face was determined, her voice steady. I feel like this is something I can really do. I just feel like it's going to be great. She moved her paper eyes from the beehives back to me. You'll try it, won't you? The girl made of paper put her honey in little jam jars, wrapped in neatly printed labels reading, If You Bees. She carried two of them to one of the neighbor's kids' house one cloudy afternoon when the weathermen had called for rain. There were eight of us there by the time the rain began to fall. We had tea and honey as we gathered around the flashlight under a ceiling of drooping blankets. It was delicious. We cooed over our teacups, clasped our hands around them, and drew them into our bodies like they were precious gems. Delighted, the girl made of paper distributed metal spoons and passed a jar of honey around to us. I turned it honey side down and pulled the nectar out of the spoon with my tongue. As the honey slid down it, my whole throat warmed. It was warmer even than when the honey had been mixed into the tea, as though, hot as the tea had been, it had diluted the honey's warmth. I could feel my fingers and toes growing warmer, and when I looked down, they were shining like little lights at the tips. I turned to the giggling faces of the other children under the blanket. Their smiles flickered back at me. My own sister's lips glowed pink as if lit from within. Has your sister tried it? I asked the girl. The other children stopped laughing and looked at her. She shrugged her shoulders, which rustled like leaves, and she said, When I asked her about it, she said she wasn't hungry. I told her she can eat it whenever she wants. We have a bunch of jars in the pantry. I don't know if she's interested, though. The rain stopped around dinner time, and we all went back to our respective houses. I passed the fire hair girl on the sidewalk. She was bald and dripping. I averted my gaze, though once she was behind me, I turned to look at her. The bottoms of her feet were white, wrinkled, and coated with pebbles and flecks of sand. She had two sopping wet socks laying across the top of her bald head, and her tennis shoes hung from the tips of the first two fingers on her right hand. My sister stopped walking beside me and asked, What's wrong? Nothing, I said. Throughout dinner, I kept seeing the back of that head. It was smooth and white, unburned like it had never felt hair or fire. It troubled me more than the image of flaming hair. After dinner, I left the table to clean my plate at the sink. When I reached the window over the faucet, I peeked out, expecting to see the sky colored by the sunset. I noticed instead a neck of smoke stretching against the horizon. I dropped my plate and ran for the door, calling to my mother, though not checking to see whether she had heard me. All but one of the hives next door were burning. The firehair girl placed her arms against the roof of the last hive. She bowed her head and let her hair turn into the space between her hands. The flames lapped at her arms, but when she stood upright again, they were still white and unmarked. The roof, however, was burning, and the fire was growing quickly. The burning girl turned toward me. I could feel the heat of her eyes on me. Calmly, as if forgetting the chaos that was roaring behind her, she nodded to me. Just then, the girl made of paper ran from the house and flew down the lawn, shouting inaudibly. The shouts seemed to draw the bees out of their smoke-induced calm. Before the fire-haired girl could see what was happening, the bees were upon her. She spun wildly, caught in a tornado of fire. She ran from their stingers in uneven circles, but she must have been blinded by her own flames. She stumbled and clawed at the grass, screaming and thrashing. She jumped to her feet again, ran, fell again. 
She burned the bees from the air and she screamed, it hurts, it burns, please. I could feel someone pulling at my elbow and I could hear the sound of a siren, but it was dulled as though I were hearing it from underwater. The only thing I could hear clearly was the fire hair girls screaming. By the time the fire trucks had arrived, most of the yard was burning and they had to turn on the hose. As the water cleared away the flames, I could see that the apiary lay in ruins, though I wasn't sure whether the fire or the force of the water had done the greater amount of damage. Everyone in the neighborhood had crowded into their backyards by then. The girl's hair had been extinguished by the mist from the hose. She stopped screaming and sank to her knees. The sister's parents stood with their hands on the paper girl's shoulder as they watched their other daughter. It was as though the water had washed away all movement and all sound. The bees were dead in the grass. The flames were gone. The bald-headed girl was curled on the ground, wet and swollen. Then the girl made of paper ran to her sister's side. And we're back. Oh yeah, the broomstick fights. I've forgotten all about those. Hmm. Feedback this week is for Podcastle 308, Gazing into the Carnaba Wax Eyes of the Future by Keffy R.M. Curley. This was a story about fortune telling through the regurgitation of peeps. Mmm, yummy. People on the forums generally enjoyed it grossness and all. Trish E.M. said, Peeps are definitely creepy. I used to live in Easter, Pennsylvania when we were deluged with peeps every Easter and then they started coming out with Halloween peeps and so on. If you've seen some of the YouTube videos of microwave experiments on peeps where they melt and the eyes are left, yeah, if I had some kind of precognition that depended on throwing up, peeps would come to mind. Devoted135 said, I have to admit that several sections of this story made me feel nauseated. So, um, congrats on the very effective descriptions? I'm thankful to have never dealt with any serious addictions in my life, but this story definitely helped me appreciate both their allure and their destructiveness even more than I already did. Thanks for all the comments. Let us know what you think of this week's story over at forum.escapeartist.net. If you like what we're doing, please visit podcastle.org and consider making a donation or signing up for a subscription. Every single cent goes to paying our authors and keeping our podcast going so we can bring you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. If you can't donate, tell all your friends about us. Tweet, Facebook, send jars of honey, mail letters, but please, no paper girls, okay? Well, that was our show for this week. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, sound guru Peter Wood, editor-in-chiefs Anna Schwind and Dave Thompson, and associate editors Graham Dunlop and myself, thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another story. Until then, keep your enemies close and your sisters closer. We'll see you again real soon. 
Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Our closing quote comes from Charles M. Schultz, creator of Peanuts, who said, Big sisters are the crabgrass in the lawn of life. Thanks for listening. <laughs>